try that. Let's go to our Bibles in Mark chapter 14, and uh, we're going to read verses 26 through 31. <clears throat> Last week we, uh, we looked at what we know as the Lord's Supper. It's interesting today uh, we'll celebrate communion as well, and uh, we spent last week talking about uh, which literally would have been the last Passover. Jesus consummated what had taken 1,500 years of celebration of God literally delivering the Israelites from the hands of the Egyptians. That last plague, those 10 plagues, the last one was the death of the firstborn. And the Passover was initiated. It was originated right there. And literally in the last week of Jesus' life, which we've been studying, and on that night, that Thursday night, he was just hours away from being betrayed, which we haven't come to that portion of it. We're getting close. But literally within 24 hours, he would be hanging on a cross, becoming, literally as 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 says, he is our Passover. He is our Passover. It was the consummation of Passover and the beginning, if you will, of the celebration of the communion, the sense of we are in him, the new covenant, his flesh, his blood, everything that he gave to us so that we could be with him. And now they're walking to Gethsemane, Mark chapter 14, verse 26 through 31. When they had sung a hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives. And Jesus saith unto them, All you shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep shall be scattered. But after that I am risen, I will go before you into Galilee. But Peter said unto him, Although all shall be offended, yet will not I. And Jesus saith unto him, Verily I say unto thee, that this day, even in this night, before the cock crow twice, thou shalt deny me thrice. And he spake the more vehemently. If I should die with thee, I will not deny thee in any wise. Likewise, all so, said they all. May God add a special blessing to the reading of his word. And let us just pray a prayer before we study this afternoon. Father God, we're delighted to be here. We're so thankful for the word of God. The more we study, the more we find. The nuggets of truth will never end. Your word will never end even though heaven and earth will pass away, as Jesus, in his own words, spoke to the disciples that. Father, we would ask that your word would come alive through the teaching exclusively of the power of the Holy Spirit. We're here not only to learn, but to become relationally closer to you. Father, we want to know more about you. We want to see you for who you are. Thank you for Jesus Christ, his life, his walk, his death his burial, his resurrection. Literally, he's praying for the disciples, for the Holy Spirit to come and dwell in them as he does in us. Father, we have so much to be thankful for. Now take us where you want us. Allow us to see you so clearly. Clarify your word through the power of the, of the Spirit. In Christ's name we pray. Well, it's been quite a journey. Jesus has been walking on the earth for about 33 years. 
Um, and I may not get this exactly right, but the principle is what's behind it. Um, if you're going to take Jesus from day one to the last week of his life, it takes up about four or five chapters out of 89 chapters in the four Gospels. But you get to the last day, crucifixion day, <laughs> there's about 15 chapters with that alone. It's amazing how much was said. I told you last week, those of you were here, um, by the way, did anybody remember their homework? Oof, not a lot of hands going in the air. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. Do you remember? Yeah. Yeah. In other words, this, this, it was, it was Thursday night and to get through Wednesday, guys, how, how many weeks did it take for us to be, for me standing up here talking about Wednesday? It was a lot, wasn't it? It went on and on and on. And please, Larry, finish up. We got to get to the next day. And last week we jumped into Thursday. And if we were in the book of John, we would be studying John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17. All of those chapters went on on Thursday night. Oh, all of those things, all of those th promises, literally, 14, 15, and 16, 17 was his prayer. That's known as the high priestly prayer. He was praying for his disciples. And that's one of the things we're going to talk about today is the contrast between the disciples and what Jesus who he was and what he knew. But th thinking of that, as he prayed for them, there was a lot of things he promised on Thursday night. He promised peace, joy, contentment, comfort, the coming of the Holy Spirit. Think of that one. That really started to take root in John chapter 16, verse 7. Literally, the Holy Spirit, the comforter will come and he will be not only with you. That was a concept in the, the Old Testament that the Holy Spirit was with the people of Israel. But literally, in fact, that verse is it's, it's resounding. Let's, let's see if I can find it. It's in John, and uh, John, da, 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 take me just a second. John chapter 14 and verse 17. Let's read that. Let's read that. Chapter 14, verse 17. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but you know him, for he dwelleth with you, and watch, and shall be in you. Whoa! <laughs> Amazing! And by the way, that was a new concept, because in the Old Testament it was, it was hit or miss. Uh, Saul, which I can't imagine how he would have died in misery, quite honestly. He knew what it was for the Holy Spirit to be on him. And then the Holy Spirit left him. Oh my goodness, right? It would be similar somewhat to Adam and Eve, having sinned, had walked with God the day before in the afternoon, just like they'd done for their entire being. And sin entered. And the first thing that happened was what? Fear. I was afraid as God was approaching Adam. Where are you? We're, we're on our daily walk, Adam. Where are you at? As if God didn't know. Well, he asked questions for us, not for him. I was afraid. I was naked. Oh, did you eat of the tree? <laughs> well, she, <laughs> which was blaming ultimately God, because God gave Adam, Eve, to fulfill, to make complete mankind. That fear is still with us. In fact, this passage that we've just read out of Mark, it's coming. Jesus knew about it, his foreknowledge, 
And the disciples, of course, they knew nothing. Their ignorance was just, um, it, was, it was bold. It was so outgoing. Jesus called everything that was happening before it happened. Uh, think of that for a moment. Those of you in your lives uh, that have lived a number of years, every different, everything's different for all of us, but literally, what if you had all of the things that would be diagnosed under trouble and you knew about all of those before any of them happened? How would you do? It would be overwhelming, wouldn't it? It's a blessing not knowing. Now, at the same time, we can know what's at the end because God revealed it. We will be with him one day. Those of, those of you that have trusted Christ as Savior. We have two disciples that literally uh, had a, they lived, walked, talked together for three years. One was Judas Iscariot and one was Peter. I was looking with interest uh, in John chapter 1 because I was, I was curious how and we're going to be looking at Luke, too, the parallel passages. We've been doing it. Even we've been using Mark as our landing spot. Mark is our foundation in the sense of this is where we go, this is what we read. But then we're jumping off into corollary. Uh, the parallel passage is giving us a little more insight, shall we say. And Jesus called, and in fact, let's go to Luke, to the Luke uh, passage now. Um, there's a couple of things I'd like to point out just initially. Um, now, you notice this, this uh, the reading we had in the Walk to Gethsemane, that was after they had the Lord's Supper. He's talking about the fact that they're all going to be offended. They're all going to be literally, the word is trapped. It'll be more than they can handle. But in Luke, take a look at this now. Luke chapter 22. And uh, I think, I'm just trying to think how I should do this. I, I, I don't know why, but verse 23, let's start there because this really engages all of the things that the disciples were wrapped up in and the fact Amongst themselves, who's the greatest? Well, verse 23, Luke chapter 22. Let's start there. And they begin to inquire among themselves, this is Luke 22, 23, which of them that it should do this thing. And there was, what was the thing? What was the thing? What thing? The betrayal. Now, I want, I want to focus on just, again, just unfolding this for a moment. They were so filled with self-doubt, the disciples, that literally Jesus said now, and in his foreknowledge, he knew that one of them, 12, one of those 12 that were gathered in this upper room in the quietness of that evening as they're partaking of a Passover meal, he says, one of you will betray me. They are actually asking themselves, is it I? Could it be me? I don't know. Is it? Who is it? They weren't sure. They did not know who that person was, even themselves. Now, the one that we knew it was, that Jesus knew it was, was so coy, wasn't it? Is it I? And Jesus says, as a matter of fact, it is. Oh. And he was quick to get out of there then, wasn't he? In fact, Jesus said, what you do, do quickly. Self-doubt. So let's continue. There was also, verse 24, a strife among them, which of them should be accounted the greatest. Oh, my goodness. What the world, Right? But they thought the kingdom was coming now, and they certainly saw themselves as being at a level of high prominence. He said in them, verse 25, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. They that exercise authority under them are called benefactors. You shall not be so, but he that is greatest among you, let him be as the younger. He that is chief as he that doth serve. For whether is greater, he that sitteth at meat or he that serveth. Is not he that sitteth at meat, but I am among you as he that serveth. Yet 
I'm sorry, you are they which have continued with me in my temptations, and I appoint unto you a kingdom, as my Father hath appointed unto me, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And the Lord said, now watch this, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. Now that word you is plural. He's not just speaking about Peter here. Peter, yes, he's addressing him because Peter would be known as the leader, the spokesman of the group of the 11 that are remaining. He is that guy, isn't he? In fact, if you go to Acts chapter 2 through probably verse chapter, I'm going to say 11 or 12, Peter is the outspoken preacher. He's the one that literally speaks for the disciples. Reading that again, Simon. Why does he call him Simon and doesn't call him Peter? Because remember back in Matthew chapter 16, he said, Simon Peter, and he talked about, who do you say that I am? And he responded perfectly, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God, which is, oh, I mean, I, I, think, I think Jesus would have almost applauded. That's the right answer. And he said, Simon Peter, upon this rock, the fact that I am who I say I am, this foundation, you will be a leader. You will be part of this group in declaring and describing all that Jesus is to the uttermost parts of the world. When he says, Simon, Simon, it's like in the near future, within hours, you will revert back to just who you were before I called you. You're going to go back to your old ways. You're going to forget who I am. You're going to desert me. You're going to deny me. Simon, Simon. Uh, as you go back to John chapter 1, um, I'm just write it down in your notes. As Jesus was walking, was baptized by John the Baptist, there was two of John Baptist's disciples that actually, after John said, that is the Lamb of God. That right there, who's pointing at Jesus, is the Lamb of God. And two of the disciples followed, two of John the Baptist's disciples followed. I, you know what? Let's just read it. I, I, I just want to go there. How was that? John chapter 1. Now remember, we're not done in Luke, okay? So we've got to go back to Luke before we can go back to Mark. So let's go to John. Are you following with me yet? <laughs> John chapter 1. Let's just go there for the moment. John chapter 1 and verse 35. Again, the next day after John stood and two of his disciples, and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, Behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and saw them following, and saith unto them, What seek you? They said unto him, Rabbi, which is to say being interpreted, Master. Where dwellest thou? Where are you going? Who are you? He saith unto them, Come and see. They came and saw where he dwelt, and abode with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. So did you get that? Simon Peter's brother, Andrew, who remember now, let's go back for just a moment, who were the four guys that were on the side of the Mount of Olives that received that teaching that we talked about in Mark chapter 13 and 14. He's sitting on the side of the Mount of Olives because there was one of them and asked a question. Isn't this temple beautiful? This is Wednesday night. And then they walked out to the Mount of Olives, sat down. It's late at night. Jesus has had a long day. He's been teaching all day long at the, at the, at the, uh, the temple. And now he's up for a whole long. In fact, the whole discourse is in Matthew 24, 25. 
the Olivet Discourse. On the side of the mound, late at night, he literally describes for them the future that's coming. And there was four guys there, four disciples that were taking that in. Who were they? That's right. Andrew was the fourth. It's Peter, James, and John, those three. But Andrew was there that night. And look at here. He's one of the first disciples. He was a disciple of John the Baptist. But watch what he does. John chapter 1, verse 40. We'll read it again. One of the two heard John speak and followed him and was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first findeth his own brother Simon and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. Thou shalt be called Cephas, or Peter, which is interpretation, a stone. Jesus changed his name there. But he doesn't use that name because in the next few hours, Peter will describe... Now we're back again, looking forward to this, the time of the Lord's Supper. They're walking out to the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, Peter is not going to look like a rock at all. <laughs> he, he's going to be a stumbling stone at best. He's going to deny Jesus three times. He's going to revert back to, literally, his old ways. Back to Luke now, chapter 22. Because there's something else I want you to see here. Verse 31, we'll read it again. The Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. We'll be talking about that in a moment. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. When thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Oh, there's so much there. He said unto him, Lord... I am ready to go with thee, both into prison and to death. And he said, I tell you, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day before that thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. And he said unto them, When I sent you without person, script, and shoes, lacked you anything? And they said, Nothing. Then said he unto them, But now he that hath a purse, let him take it, and likewise his script, and he that hath no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. For I say unto you that this is that is written must yet be accomplished in me. And he was reckoned among the transgressors. That's in Isaiah chapter 53 verse 12. For the things concerning me have an end. Now watch. And they said, Lord, behold, here are two swords. And he said unto them, it is enough. And he's done with that conversation. But I want you to see what happens in the next verse. And he went out and went as he want to the Mount of Olives and his disciples also followed him. Whoa, stop a moment. Stop. Did you guys catch that? Where were we at in Mark chapter 14? Let's go back and see it. What have we just discovered in Luke? Jesus talked to Simon Peter before they left the upper room. Okay? You saw it, right? Verse 35, or 39 says, he, he came out after speaking to him. He went out and he went to the Mount of Olives and disciples followed him. Back to Mark chapter 14. Verse 26. 1426. When they had sung a hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, All of you will be offended because of me. And Peter again in verse 29, I will not be offended by you. Did you see what's going on here? This conversation actually happened in the upper room and also after they were in the Garden of Gethsemane. This was an ongoing conversation. Jesus is, em is emphatic about them understanding what's going to happen. He is calling it out, and he wants Peter to literally see for himself what he is going to do before they left the upper room and after. There's two accounts. It seems like it's the same one. It's not. It's on either side of their walking to the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, speaking of the Garden of Gethsemane, where is that at? Not far. 
It's in, or on, I should say that, it's on the Mount of Olives. The Garden of Gethsemane, that word Gethsemane actually means press. If you have olive trees, guess what you do with olives? You press the oil. You make oil out of the olives. Um, it's, now, the Garden of Gethsemane, I was doing some research into that. It's actually not very large, but the other thing that's interesting is there's four different places that it that is ascribed to its location. So you know what that tells me? Nobody knows exactly. But the interesting part is the olive trees that are in the Garden of Gethsemane, or at least the supposed site, which would obviously be in the, in the area, um, they've tried to figure out how old those trees are. I'm going to hear us to say you, tell you that there was three out of the eight that is supposedly in this, in this area that they, through different testing techniques, were described as being potentially in like 1000 B.C. and even, I'm sorry, not 1000 B.C., 1000 A.D. and even before that. It's possible that those olive trees that are there today would have been there when our Savior was there praying. Wow. Wow. And the really cool part is, whether the trees are or aren't, that Savior is our Savior today, just as He was for those disciples. Just as Jesus laid out for those disciples in that, you know what? Satan wants you badly. Now, we do know there's a couple of motives. Maybe it was... I would like to, uh, maybe I'll get ready to write something down. How about that? Um, if you think about it, you remember what in Matthew chapter 16 is, is uh, Peter had the right answer to a question? Who do you say that I am? Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Whew, good job, Peter. And then he went on to describe, Jesus did, I'm going to be handed over, I'm going to be killed, I'm going to die, I'm going to be buried and I will rise again. Who was the one that got right in his face? Peter. Oh, no! Heavens, no! I don't know if he said heavens, no, but the point of the matter was, that, that's crazy thinking, Jesus. Don't say that. And then Jesus quickly responded by saying, Satan, get behind me. He said it to Peter. So now, if you've noticed, now reading what we had today in Luke chapter 22, Peter and Satan are having a I mean, he's working on Peter, isn't he? Why do you think that is? Why is Satan working pretty hard on Peter? He's their leader. He's the disciples' leader. He's the spokesman. If you can mess up the leadership, that's where you're going to go. Now, it's interesting. There's two totally different aspects to what Satan is after. Number one, which we've talked about in the last couple of weeks, in chapter 16 of Matthew, it appears very clearly that Satan is very versed in the Old Testament Scriptures. Because it was described in the Old Testament, and obviously the New Testament is fulfillment of that, is that Jesus Christ was going to die. It was affirmed, it was, conf it was, it was confirmed, it was absolutely a foundational truth that before there was anything or anyone on this planet, or before there was even time, that God had appointed for Jesus Christ, the God's Son, the Son of God, to literally be the Redeemer, the, the one that would die for the sins of mankind to even come. They hadn't even been here yet. That was determined. But He would have to die on a cross. It's described all through Isaiah. You know what Satan wants after reading that? He does not want Jesus to be on a cross. He does not want him to die. That would be the last thing that Satan would want because then we would have the power over death and sin, which is the whole point. That's the whole thing is the fact that that's why Jesus came. He didn't want to just walk and talk amongst men and make it simple. By the way, did you notice on the night before Jesus Christ 
the last 24 hours. Here is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Son of Man. He's lived a perfect life. He has not sinned. He's not done anything wrong. Not once, not even a thought. Are you ready? Did you get there? No, you can't get there because we can't get there. Now, according to a lot of people that would, what I would call the name it and claim it group, those that have all of the problems, you need to be happy, you need to be wealthy, you need to be, if you're in Christ, he wants you happy all the time. I'm going to tell you, if you want to talk about a night of trouble, Jesus Christ, the perfect, only son of God, had more trouble than I can describe for you the night before he gave his life willingly. He had trouble with Judas, right? He had trouble with the disciples. I mean, I have to think that he had to roll his eyes sometime in the night saying, would you guys knock it off already? Enough of the pride, enough of the arrogance, enough of the who's the greatest. Stop! Right? He had trouble with Satan again, right? Because Satan not only doesn't want him to have a cross, but let's think about it. See, Satan is so clever, he's so smart, and God still uses him just the way he wants to use him. Isn't that what I love about God? It's so fantastic. God is so majestic, so awesome, so sovereign. Satan has all of his tricks and all of his ploys and all of his plans. And guess what? God uses all of those to literally get his foundational sovereignty rules right to happen down the trail. Was Jesus on the cross? Yes, he was on the cross. Three o'clock, Friday afternoon, just as the scripture said. He became the Passover for mankind. But Satan's working on a different angle. He's working on Peter now. He says he wants to sift him. And you is not just Peter, it's the whole disciples. Because one thing that Peter, I'm sorry, that Satan would know clearly is that Jesus has selected these 12, knowing one would be a betrayer. He served a purpose, the son of perdition, wasted his entire life. That's what perdition means. Uh, those 11, though, the task which would be laid out for us in Acts chapter 1, that those 11 are really the, the, the group that all of the things that Jesus was that is the Redeemer, that, he is the God, that Jesus is the good news, the gospel for mankind, according to the Scriptures. If Satan could thwart those 11 from proclaiming that message, then he still wins, right? Even if Christ dies on the cross, let's go to the second step. I'm going to make sure that I get to Peter first because if Peter loses focus, if Peter defects and they all spread out, just now the scripture says that, Zechariah chapter 13, verse 7. That's what, that's what Jesus quoted there. When the shepherdess is stricken, the sheep will scatter. Is that not true? If you are not familiar with sheep, that's how it works. <laughs> no leader, whew, gone, right? To the wind. But if he could keep them from coming back together, who would be the first and foremost person to work on exclusively? Peter. He's the spokesman. He's the mouthpiece. He's the one, and by the way, perfect one to pick on. Why? Because probably within Peter, he had the most pride of any one of the disciples. And the Bible has a lot to say about pride. You want to talk about being vulnerable? Just go at it from a prideful position. Show me someone that says that they can't fail. That person is not far from failing. Peter, Peter's the, that's one I'd use for an example. Because he is, oh, no. I will go to the death for you. I can hear him. How am I doing? He would be like bold and loud, right? Just, ah. And Jesus says, literally, you know, he says before the cock crows. Now, let's talk about that for a second. So in the night watches, it would be from, night would be from 6 p.m. till 6 a.m., okay? The dark side of the day, so to speak, okay? 
From 6 to 9 would be evening. From 9 to 12 would be called midnight. From midnight to 3 would be called the cock crowing. From 3 to 6 would be early morning. That's how they divided them up. So Jesus is saying before 3 a.m. tonight, before the cock crows, before the rooster crows, one more time, you, Peter, will deny me three times. Oh, oh, for what the world? What do you mean? How could that possibly be? I've been with you for 33 years. Well, no, that's not true. I've been with you for three years. How's that? Let's go with that. But if you were up to Peter, he'd been there forever, right? And Jesus has just outlined something that is amazing. Have you noticed how ignorant the disciples are in what they're arguing about, what they're talking about, what they think is really important? And Jesus and his knowledge, it's just such a contrast. In fact, I think we'll do that. Well, let's just write down some contrast because it, it, apply, it gives us a really strong picture of this evening. Let's just go. How is ignorance spelled? Let's go with that, huh? Ignorance, A-N-C-E, okay, versus knowledge, true knowledge. Now, again, I, I asked you earlier if you, if you could know everything that would have been called a problem, a trial, a trouble, before it happened and it would just be like dumped on you, this is what's going to happen in 2017, this is 18, this is 19, this is 21, this is 24, it's 25, and you have it all. Oh, right? Now, here's Jesus Christ who knows all of that, not only about you, he knows it about himself. He knows that within 24 hours, there's a whole lot of things, a whole lot of trouble that is about to enter his life. And you know what? He comes at it with a great deal of courage. He's using that knowledge to actually prepare. You know, I would wonder, wouldn't you want to take care of yourself for a moment here? You know what he's worried about? No, worry's the wrong word. Worry is a sin. Jesus is not worried. He's not sinful. What he wants to do is he wants to prepare those disciples for what's coming. Listen, listen very carefully, guys. Now, this happened when they were trying to be number one. He said, you know what? You guys tonight are all going to flee. You're all going to run away from me. You're all going to defect. You're all literally going to be. It's like their faith would eclipse. Um, that's almost, you know what a, what a lunar eclipse, you know, where, where it's just, that's almost like a faith eclipse. That's what's, what's going to happen to them tonight. They're just like they're going to be blanked out. They're just not going to get it. He says, that's coming. Not that's soon. It's right now. It's right around the corner. And I want you to be ready. Oh, not us. You're talking about the disciples. That's how they responded. Now, what is, think of that sin. We have just contradicted the Lord Jesus Christ, who they called the Christ, the Son of the living God, who is God. We're saying, you don't know what you're talking about. How many times have you kind of in your own life, sort of by the sense of denial or resistance or rejection, saying, you know, God, you just don't know what you're talking about. I know what's best for me. Now, you may not say that out loud, but just a react, right? How's, how's your little journey, your little journey through life? I, it's amazing how God, I guess you didn't believe me there. Oh, you didn't believe me there. And you didn't, and you know what happens when we don't believe God? Failure, just like the disciples. That's all the sense of unbelief, lack of faith. Now, there is a difference. Judas Iscariot, that was terminal. That was terminal unbelief. He chose never to trust Christ, right? And he forever is in the everlasting fire. He went out and hung himself. He ended it. The disciples, through the power of Jesus Christ, literally they returned back to their roots, shall we say. 
But it wasn't because of them. It wasn't their own self-will. It wasn't their own might. It wasn't their so self of, it was no self at all. In fact, that's your largest enemy, and my largest enemy is self itself. There's a lot of selves in there. It is absolutely true. Paul, we may, I was going to close with this, but we'll talk about it before we go there. You remember he was actually escorted up into the third heaven. He saw things that no one else had probably ever seen. And what did it do to him? Right? I can just see it. And, and, may, and he obviously didn't because God took care of that right away. And you know what? How many times could you be thankful for trials and troubles because it keeps you from being proud? You will never know. How many times does God keep pride away from you by just sort of like taking the air out? I could see Paul saying, you know what? I'm going to have some seminars. I'm going to talk about what I saw. I'm going to talk about the real heaven because I was there. I saw it. It was amazing. I should tell people about that. There was a little bit of, in fact, it says I was built up, right? I was, whew. And you know what God did? He allowed or let Satan put what is described as a thorn in the flesh. We don't know exactly what that is, but it must have been really something. For Paul to, to reach out and to pray that it would be removed from him three times. But then he said something that's really good. We need to go there. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. This is the key. This is why the disciples would have reacted differently if they would have seen it as Paul did. In fact, we'll start in verse 7. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. Now, it's talking about his response to being escorted or given a picture into the third heaven. It says in verse 7, And lest I, this is Paul, should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelation. In other words, it, it, it man, I'm the only one who was there. It would, how cool is that? That's exactly right. Yeah, three-day seminar. What heaven looks like? How many people do you think would show up? A lot. And there was given to me. <laughs> Isn't that good? A trial was given to me. Have you had trials given to you? It's a gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> there was a given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. It was actually for my good. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. Look at the verse 9. This, this verse you need to have in your memory. He said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. If those disciples would have said, when Jesus said, you know what, tonight, this very night. Now, by the way, it couldn't have been any different because that's described also in Scripture. And it's amazing how Jesus knew what scriptures need to be fulfilled. Zechariah chapter 13, verse 7 says that, literally, the shepherd will be smitten, the sheep will scatter. That's going to happen. And their attitude, the thing of which they were responsible for, allowed that circumstance to happen. But what if they would have come about it like this, when Jesus said, tonight, you guys are all going to be offended by me. You're all going to defect. You're going to deny me. Peter, particularly. Peter, I'm telling you, three times. Three times. Not one, not two, three times. What if they would have said, oh, may it never be. Oh, stop us. Help us. When you approach life's problems that way, it has a total different outcome. If your self rises up, I'll take care of that. Welcome to a disaster. 
And it's usually a couple of them because one disaster leads to another disaster, which leads to another disaster, which leads to another one. Because usually if self is at the beginning, it keeps going for a while. But when you've come to Christ, it's usually because of a disaster. There's good in that. And amazingly, because of what transpired, particularly in, in uh, Peter's life, it never happened again. Their shame of Jesus. Now, again, behind shame is fear. They were fearful of losing their life. And honestly, I mean, there is your... They weren't even there, were they? They weren't even at the crucifixion. They were gone. But they took Jesus. They arrested him. He was betrayed by one of them. Now they knew who Judas's real heart was. The truth always gets out, by the way. The truth always gets out. But to see their Savior, their Jesus, their Christ, the Son of the living God, in captivity, what do you think they're going to do? Run like a sheep. They're gone. Fear takes over. Peter's, some have given some credit to him falling from a distance. If you study his three denials, we don't have time to do it today, it's less than good. He's actually cursing and swearing. I don't, I've never known this guy. What are you telling me? What are you accusing me of? You think I know Jesus? I don't know who that clown is. It's literally just like that. But he would have used very shall we say, vulgar terms. They want nothing to do with him. But this is the difference between a faith that saved Peter and Judas's. Judas was met with remorse after he took his 30 pieces of silver and he realized what he had just done. He had sold out for the price of a slave, the savior of mankind. He took those 30 pieces of silver, and this was a man that loved money. He coveted money and wealth, Judas Iscariot. He took those 30 pieces of silver and threw them at those that had given it to him. And he went out and hanged himself. That man died unforgiven. Peter, on the other hand, I tell you what, now what those eyes of Jesus must have felt like. Because it tells us in one of the scripture passages that after he denied him the third time, and each time it got worse. Have you noticed that? When you're on a denial path, on your defection list, it just gets easier to deny and to defect. It does. It's the way it is, right? The third time, it says that Jesus turned and looked at Peter as the rooster is crowing. Now that, my friends, is the opposite of pride. <laughs> you have just got whooped badly, which honestly is perfect. The less self there is left, the better it is for you and for those around you. Let's go back. I don't even know where I left you, but let's go to um, Mark. Let's go to Luke chapter 22. Let's go back to Luke for a moment. <clears throat> Verses 31, 32. Simon, Simon, behold. This is like, listen up. Satan hath desired to have you. And he, again, that word is plural. It's not just you, but he wants all of you, that he may sift you as wheat. Let's stop there for just a second. What does that mean, sift you as wheat? Have you ever been sifted? And you're all scared to say. Well, 
in that day, they didn't have combines. They have wheat standing, and they've got to somehow get the chaff out of the wheat. There would be several processes to do that. At this, to sift the wheat, it would have been harvested, in other words, to soft the plant, but now you've got to get it further. You've got to get the real stuff out of it, okay? And Satan, this, remind, this just makes me remind me of Job, right? It's the same kind of an idea. Well, let's go back to the sense of word of sift, is to violently or vehemently shake vigorously and actually throw it in the air so that the wind would blow the chaff away. And it's a repeated process. And it's not like just one time, you know, a shake and then throw in the air. Well, I guess we got that done. That's not how it works, right? In fact, if you even follow the concepts of a combine, there's a whole lot of stuff. You don't want to be inside the combine participating with the wheat that's getting separated from the chaff for various reasons. It's a really wild place to be. Uh, that's really what Satan wants to do to Peter and the disciples. They want to, he wants to make their life so turbulent, so upheaved, that literally, you know what, we're going to find what's really real. And I'm here to say there isn't anything real in their lives. They just want the goods. In fact, listen to them. You know, you can, you, because you know what? He's an accuser of you as well. Revelation chapter 12, verse 10 said he's an accuser. Satan is an accuser of the brethren. He's constantly bringing you up before the Father. And guess who your defense attorney is? I don't know what you know about attorneys. Most of them are... You can fill in the blank. But I'm going to tell you what, you have a defense attorney when you took Jesus Christ as your Savior, as your Lord, as your Redeemer, as your Savior. You know what? You have the Jesus Christ, the Messiah, as your defense attorney. Isn't that fantastic? And by the way, legitimately, Satan will rise up something. Did you see Larry yesterday? That was impressive for a Christian, a follower of Jesus. What are you going to do with him? Are you going to kick him out? You should. You guys see, how am I doing? For I'm pretty, an accusing attorney. He, I, I followed him pretty well, didn't I? You know what Jesus said? No, he's mine. I paid for that. It's paid in full. He's mine forever. He can't get away. And this is so cool. The reason that Peter returned and was restored is because, did you get this? Let's read it. Let's keep going. Let's go back to Luke chapter 22. Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. We talked about that. But I have prayed for you that thy faith fail not. Oh, is that not fantastic? Jesus prayed. Now, you know what? We've got a verse that we can claim to. Not only did he pray for Peter, he's actually has your interest, your soul, your, and everything that you are in. in. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7. And let's look at verse 25. <clears throat> Wherefore, and you'd have to go back in the chapter, and he's going to describe for you why it's so. Wherefore, he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. He is interceding for you. And unfortunately, we all have those weak, defective moments, times in our life, right? It's the way it is. I'm, I'm, it's not new information, right? 
I mean, we don't want to talk about it. Do you think Peter, as he would, you know, like, let's say day three after the defection, where do you think he was? That's ultimately what he did. In fact, he gave up. He gave up. That's the last thing as a child of God that you should even think about to give up. None of that fits you. If you've trusted Christ as Savior, you permanently are in His love, in His care, and ultimately in His kingdom because He has you as a piece of, what should I say, You're, you are something He will not ever give up. He bought you. He paid for you. And nowhere can you find in the Scripture that it says that you were unjustified. That's exactly right. And everyone that was justified will be glorified. That verse, I can't, let's go there. Romans chapter 8. Someone that says you can lose your salvation, my point is make sure you're saved. If you're saved, sorry, that's not what the Scripture says. Look at verse 30 of Romans chapter 8. Romans 8, chapter, chapter, eight thir- chapter 8, verse 30. There we go. I finally got it out. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. Now stop. If you think that salvation is held together by you, now right now, Peter, if you were going to ask him, why do you say you're not going to deny me tonight, Peter? Jesus could have asked. Because I'm strong enough not to deny you. Whose power is that? Peter's self. Guess what? He failed miserably. Failed miserably. Let's keep going. All of those that are justified, sorry, uh, and whom he called them, he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. Did you see anybody left out? No one is left out. If, now, the key is make sure you're saved. Make sure you're justified. How are you justified? How are you declared not guilty? By accepting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, trusting Him, trusting Him alone, by grace alone in Christ alone, by faith alone. That's how you get there. If you're there, you're safe. Now, you still can make, you can make stupid decisions, stupid choices, just like the Israelites in the Old Testament going into the Promised Land. That's not about heaven. That's about life on earth. They did some really stupid stuff. In fact, they approached it at Kadesh Barnea. They sent 12 spies out. That wasn't even God's idea, by the way. You can, I, I can't prove it right now, but that wasn't God. God said, just go. You don't need to prove that God knows what he's doing. Even though we like to be sure that we know what God's doing. If you know that it's God speaking and it fits his word, you don't need any more than that. But they sent 12 spies. And they go into the land. And it's just as he said. That's unbelievable. But there were some big people there. There were some giants. <laughs> Ten of the twelve come home. Now, whoever says democracy is the right way to rule a country? Sad to say, if the mob, if the mob is right, it's great. If it's wrong, it's wrong. Period. doesn't matter. There was only two with God. Caleb and Joshua. They came home with the <laughs> news. Whoa, it's fantastic. In fact, they didn't even get a chance to speak because the naysayers were immediately, oh, it's, yeah, it's good, but, but, but there are big people there. We can't do it. Who do you think was swaying them right now? Satan. He was alive and well, wasn't he? What was bothering them? Fear. It's the same thing. What was Adam and Eve after they sinned? What? Fear. It's the first word you'll find, fear. 
And the two, Caleb and Joshua, said, oh, no, no, time out. Yeah, they're big, but our God is bigger. He told us that that's ours. It's time for us to go. Let's go. They chose not to. And you know what happened for the next 40 years. That generation all died in the wilderness. They didn't get to receive the blessings of making the right choices that could have been in the land of Canaan. It's the same for us in our life. There are consequences to sinful activities. There are consequences for not being yielded to God's will. But if you've trusted Christ as Savior, your future is guaranteed. You are His. That's great news. It's not because of us. It's because of what Jesus accomplished on that tree, on that Calvary's tree. He didn't save you for a day a month, a year, until you messed it up, he saved you for eternity. Ah, great stuff. Back to, let's go back to Luke. There's a purpose that Jesus is praying for Peter and the disciples, the rest of them. It's that their faith would fail not. And their faith didn't fail not. Yes, they defected. Yes, they failed. But it says, and when they were converted. Now, that word converted is to return. It's not to be saved. They're already, they've trusted Christ. Converted is to come back. To come back. Guess what? What would be the best thing that could happen is to strengthen thy brother. I have that underlined in my Bible. That Peter, being the leader, the spokesman of this group, his, once he returned, once he, kind of, shall we say, got his focus off himself and saw really what was all, of, all of this was about, that he would strengthen his brethren. You see that in Acts chapters 2 all the way through. The fact of the matter is that he, Peter, was a great encouragement to his fellow disciples. And it's amazing in 1 Peter. You want to read that, that there. That's something. That's homework for next week. You want to read something of you see trials and tribulations and all of that sort of thing, and Peter is saying, why would we expect any different? That's who our Savior. That's what he had to endure. And you know what? It makes us better. It's like gold or silver being refined in a furnace at a high temperature. Guess who, literally, do you think that Peter was sifted? The disciples were sifted? You better believe it. If you're a Christian, get ready for sifting. Because it makes you better. It makes you to see what really, and even in this, if you think about good and evil, if there was no, if there was no evil, which God allowed, I mean, he didn't, he didn't make it. He didn't promote it. He didn't manufacture it. He didn't do any of that. But if there was no evil, you wouldn't even see how good good was. If everything was perfect, guess what? You'd never know how good you have it. Isn't that true? Absolutely true. Evil is the absence of good. How could you even know it was evil if there wasn't good? But the, effort, if you, the more you study, you can just see in, in Peter, I'm sorry, in Paul, if that thorn in the flesh hadn't happened, do you think some of those epistles would have got written? He'd have been too impressed with himself. Too many seminars, right? As, <laughs> as you let us there. Yeah, too, oh, I was too busy to write. I was too busy to get with God. I was too busy to pray. I was too busy to write. Trials and trouble. I, and I, I just can't say that loud enough that literally you think about it. Jesus Christ, the perfect Son of God, had more trouble in 48 hours than I can describe for you subjected to six trials, we'll be talking about those, every single one of them illegal. 
betrayed by one of his own disciples. He had 11 disciples, the remainder that are talking about how good they are. And then there's that hostile world out there that on Monday they had said, this is the king of the Jews. By Friday they said, crucify him. Give us Barabbas. What? This is Jesus? This is the son of God? This is the perfect one? This is the redeemer, the one of God? Where does this fit? There are moments in your life, there are days in your life that you say, I don't get it. Where is God? I think you would have probably said the same thing if you'd have been a follower of Jesus Christ and you would be at the foot of that cross from noon till 3 o'clock on that day, that day that he became the Passover lamb. But you may have not understood all of those scriptural passages. How much of the scripture in the last, let's just say, when you got saved, how much of the Bible did you really know? Not very much. And if you did, praise God that you came back because literally if we don't make a decision for Christ, when we see the gospel unfolded, it's harder to come back and get it right. Today is the day of salvation. Don't miss the time of you being convicted of your sin and seeing a Savior. Don't miss that time. You don't know if you'll get another one. Wow. This Jesus. We'd have to put another contrast up here, wouldn't we? But one thing that that evening just smacked over it. I mean, it just smacked of all those 11 disciples. Judas wasn't there long enough because he was convicted. I'm sure when Jesus said, he says, is it, is it I? Is it I? And Jesus said, it is. He said to John, who said, who is it? It's the one that I dipped the sop into. And they must have watched that and still didn't quite get it. Couldn't be him. He's the treasurer of this thing. In fact, he left and that's what they thought he was about. He had some stuff, some business that he hadn't done. And then that conversation, the whole night, what would, you, what would you describe it as from the disciples' point of view? There was pride everywhere, wasn't there? Everywhere. There was so much self. There was so much self. In fact, I think I've got it. Um, came, I, I don't know if I'm quite right, but I think it's Mark chapter, is it 9? No, maybe it's 11. There was something, ah, I'm not going to get it now. Nope. Anyway, I have it anywhere in my notes. I don't see it. Point of the matter was, is just prior to the last week, the disciples felt that the kingdom was right at hand. It was nigh at hand. There's a, I can't remember. It's in Mark. They were all about themselves. What would you say that Jesus reflected all of that night, all of his lifetime? Philippians chapter 2 is very clear about it. Humility. Humility. Those were contrasts that were on that night. Let's take a look at Proverbs for a moment. There's some things in Proverbs that describe the events of that evening. Proverbs chapter 29 go there. Proverbs chapter 29. <laughs> There's two verses. They're close to one another and they just really de- describe for us that evening. A man's pride, verse 23, Proverbs 29, 23, a man's pride shall bring him low. Ooh. <laughs> 
Isn't that true? Look at verse 25. The fear of man bringeth a snare. That is exactly what Jesus has just said would happen. You will be offended. It will be a snare. It will be a trap to you because of the fact that you're going to be fearful. You will be fearful. Oh, how much Jesus knew. How much he understood and them not getting it. The other thing that's interesting is you would have to say if you analyze everything that took place on that night, the disciples, particularly about 3 o'clock in the morning, everything they had really talked and blown about would have been nothing more than weakness, just weakness. Now, if they would have recognized weakness, as Paul would have vehemently said, uh, the first step to strength, the first step to being strong is understanding you're weak. (laughs) Isn't that true? It's absolutely true. Not just for Paul, it's for each and every one of us. The best way to encourage you is understand you're weak. That's the first step to being strong. And I can't imagine to say it any other way, but to counter that or to contrast this with the power that Jesus Christ exhibited that night. It was amazing. Him knowing what was coming, and he still was concerned about the preparation of his disciples. Truly amazing. Shame that night, because they were depending on the... Oh, that... Are you still in Proverbs? Turn back, and I will show you the antithesis of Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. This is what they were depending on. Proverbs chapter 3. This is probably a verse that you guys would have memorized early in your in life. Uh, Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. You tell me where the disciples were. Verse 5 and 6 of chapter 3. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Is that them? Not so much. And lean not on your own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Who are they leaning on? Who is Peter leaning on? Absolutely. You know, when you get in trouble, think about the last time you got in trouble. Not all the time you got in trouble, just the last time. Guess who you were leaning on? Go ahead and say it. Self. Yeah, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Yeah. But at that point, yourself depended on that other self. So ultimately, self made that decision. That was tricky, wasn't it? But you're right. If you depend on anyone, anything, anybody else, then you're subject to failure. There's only one, only one that you can depend on and that you can trust. Now, what looks, this is the other thing that's important. Sometimes things that look like failure are not. A Friday afternoon at Calvary, just outside of Jerusalem, at 30 AD, potentially, to seeing the Son of God on a tree. How many call that a failure? Looked like a complete failure. Well, that's the way it works. He's a little too outspoken. I knew the Romans would get him eventually. He just didn't know what he was doing. Just a little bit too out there, I guess. Oh, that's too bad. He was such a nice guy. I actually saw him heal some people. Wait a minute. I was there when he, Lazarus walked out of the tomb. He actually had power over death. Well, I saw him heal. Do you see where we're going with this? When you analyze what's described or seen as just a picture, there's so many people in the world today that want to paint Christianity or Jesus Christ as a failure only so that they don't have to be subjected to a creator. But when you analyze Jesus Christ in the whole picture, 
The bottom line is, he is God. Thankfully for us. Otherwise, if, if, if Jesus was not God, if he was not risen from the dead right now, this is what I would tell you. Go home. But, but with, with a great deal of confidence. No, you guys, why would you say that? Well, I can tell you this. I'm not going to tell you to go home because Jesus Christ is, in fact, the Son of God. He is the Redeemer. He is the Christos. He is the Messiah. He did rise from the dead. He is who he says he is. And we are going home with him someday. We're actually going to come with him back to this earth, and the world will be conquered, and it will be done for, and the kingdom will go from there and ever. Amen. Amen. <laughs> But there's a lot of things that have, had to happen. You know what? He had to be born in Bethlehem. Micah chapter 5, verse 2. Isaiah, we could go through. Isaiah chapter 50, there's another chapter you need to read this week. It's so amazing. It's so powerful in what God, you know what? God brought his sword. In, uh, a, that's in Zechariah chapter 13. It was God's sword that really slayed the shepherd. God's foundational truth that he would save mankind, he literally took action against his son. Oh! And then someone says that Jesus doesn't love me? They don't know Jesus. They don't know my Jesus. Only the Bible's Jesus is the one you need to know. That's the one you need to know. I don't know at what time the disciples all would have scattered, but more than likely around the time that Judas would have brought the, the armed Romans. And then, you know, Peter, he, was, he went for it. Really a poor shot, too, really. He's got a sword. And do you think he was aiming for the ear? Do you really think so? I'll show you. Well, let me cut your ear off, Malchus, and you're going to know we're here to do. No, I'm convinced he was going for the neck. That's right. <laughs> he was somewhere in the area, right? He was, he was close. <laughs> and Jesus, no, no, stop, Peter. Peter, please. Remember, we read that, and we don't have time to go through it all. But in Luke, you know, he was talking about the fact, you know what, you're going to be in a hostile world. You're going to have to defend yourself. There's going to be persecution. There's going to be a whole lot of things. And remember, they, they, what did they see? They said, oh, well, Jesus, we have two swords. And, and you think about that, Now there's 11 of them, right? It's kind of impressive. They only have to. That's good. They've been depending on Jesus for three years, haven't they? He's provided everything they've needed. He's been there to get them out of trouble. Even if they're in a boat on a, on a, on a, a wild, storm-tossed, wind-shaken sea, and he steps in and says, peace. And the waves calm, and the wind is finished. Who is this guy? He's been doing that for three years. And they respond by saying, we've got two swords, Jesus. <laughs> what did he say? That's enough. <laughs> In fact, that was when I think they really did leave the supper right then. They left the upper room. And it says then they went to the Garden of Gethsemane. But the first thing he says, according to Mark, chapter 14, as they're walking out to the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, guys, by tonight you're going to offend me all. Isn't that true? In fact, I've got it in my hand. They deserted him. He did, they deserted him. But you know what? Because of Jesus praying for Peter, which he actually strengthened his brothers, that's what John chapter 21 is all about, is restoration. 
Who's responsible for restoration? God. It was Jesus that took the steps to restore those disciples. John chapter 21, and that's right, Peter was a fisherman. There was only seven disciples present there. Why? Well, they were scattered. You'll find them just, poof, they're gone. And I don't want to throw anything at anyone, but I wonder if I would have stayed around. No, I probably wouldn't have. In fact, I know I wouldn't have because the Scripture says if I would have been born at that time, which I wasn't born at that time because I'm born at the time I'm supposed to be here. I'm not early. I'm not late. I'm here right now for the time and the presence of which God has me tuned in. But if I was there, I will tell you because the Scripture said they all left. You know why? Because I wouldn't have had my eyes on God. Hebrews chapter 12, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Today, if you want to, fa- if you want to stop failing and defecting in serious, difficult moments, Hebrews chapter 12, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. The more you're focused on Jesus Christ, the less likely you are to defect. And again, I'm not talking about defection from the sense of permanence. Judas Iscariot chose a permanent route. He chose not to ever trust Jesus Christ. Peter had a saving faith. It's not a perfect faith, but Jesus restored him. John chapter 21, three times he says, feed my sheep. Oh, and then did you, did you see the humility in his last, his last time when, when Jesus, do you love me? You know, and he made an attempt, phileo, right? That was his first, I, I have brotherly love. No, Peter, do you love me? And the third time when he asked him that, Peter says, you're breaking, I, you know, Lord, you know my heart better than you know. Now that's a great place to be when we're really laying it all out before God. You know, God, you know my heart better than I do. You know what I need before I need to know it. You know everything about me. Now take me in the manner that I am and allow me to do what you want me to do in the way you want me to do it at this time. That's the correct response. Guess what? Denial and affection will not take place when you have that kind of a humble attitude. There will be no desertion. You don't need to be restored. <laughs> you're on page. You're on fellowship. See, that's the key for us in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful to forgive and really return us back. You want to be in fellowship with God? Of course you do. Because unless you're in fellowship with God, you can't have all the things that Jesus described as promises in John 13 through 16. What were they again? Love. I'm sorry. Love, yes, it's, it surrounds us. The things that literally allow our lives to go by, and that is peace, joy, contentment, and the Holy Spirit. Just think of that. Think of that. Why did they reject? Why did Peter walk away from Jesus that night? What was it? It could be a lot of things. Obviously, you have to come up with the word fear somewhere, right? Pride. Yep. I'd probably have to say this, and let's think about ourselves now. Have you had an opportunity where you had the, you had the opportunity to talk about Jesus to someone? There was an opening, and you didn't do it. And you've done that. I've done that, right? It's, it happens. Those aren't moments you like to talk about, but it happens. You, there's all kinds of re- But literally, it would have to be this. You're ashamed. There's shame. Peter was ashamed of Jesus Christ that night. He was. You can come up with no other answer. I never knew him. I don't know anything about him. What, what does that mean? Does that mean what? What, is that, what, is, what, would you, what? what do you mean you don't know me? Well, I'm ashamed. 
I don't want to right now know, let people know that I know you. Shame. Let's go to Acts chapter 5, verse 41. Acts 5, verse 41. Verse 40, this is a whole nother, man, this is a great passage of Scripture. Hey, you want to read something else this week? Go to Acts chapter 5. Verse 40 of Acts chapter 5, it's kind of the conclusion. Oh, I, I, yeah, I mean, oh, we should read the whole chapter. you got to do that, right? But the disciples literally had been told, don't you talk about that man. Who was the man? Jesus. Don't you dare bring him up. Don't talk about him. Don't do anything, Right? Verse 40, and to him they agreed, and when they had called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Watch verse 41, and they, the, the apostles, departed from the presence of the council. Which council? The same one that literally was, had, had, what shall we say, convicted or condemned Jesus. That same company. Rejoicing. What? Rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. <laughs> Do you think the apostles changed? Completely. Do you know why? Because Jesus Christ paid for them. That sifting his wheat, that violently shaking to see what was really real, the real stuff, made them purer, made them cleaner allowed Peter to strengthen his brothers, those disciples. You know what's happening to you? Those moments, those times, those days, those years, whatever it might be that you say, man, this is tough. Let's go to the, this. It's another verse just came in my second Corinthians. Let's go there for a moment. If you've withstood some real serious stuff, look at that. Second Corinthians chapter 1, <clears throat> verse 3 and 4. Second Corinthians 1, verses 3 and 4. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all of our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. Isn't that true? There's so many people today, because of the trials they went through, are literally able to comfort someone that they see, they can identify with that is going through some of those same things. What a great verse. Let's go to Psalm 136. I think we'll, I think we'll, I'm not going to say for sure, but let's, I think we'll end here. Psalm 136, and you're laughing. Yeah, you never know where he's going to go. Psalm 136. As you're turning, and we're not going to read the whole psalm, but this is, as they would have left the Passover meal. And this would have been the last one. This would have been the last Passover ever needed, ever been celebrated again because Jesus Christ proved to be the final Passover lamb. Now, as 136 would have been the hymn, that would have been what they would have sung as they left to go to the Garden of Gethsemane. This would have been late Thursday night, probably close to midnight even. Well, let's, I'll, just, I'll just start you in. Uh, Psalm 136. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good. For his mercy endureth forever. O give thanks unto the God of gods, for his mercy endureth forever. O give thanks to the Lord of the lords, for his mercy endureth forever. To him who alone doeth great wonders, for his mercy endureth forever. 
To him that by wisdom made the heavens, for his mercy endureth forever. To him that stretched out the earth above the waters, for his mercy endureth forever. To him that made great lights, for his mercy endureth. Are you getting the picture? <laughs> and it goes on for 26 verses. The last one is, oh, give thanks unto the God of heaven, for his mercy endureth forever. That, my friends, would really describe everything that Jesus Christ did that very night in his mercy in him reaching out to those his disciples. He himself would be hanging on a cross. In 24 hours, he would be dead. He would have declared the last three words on this earth that's ever been uttered by that Savior. It is finished. At 3 o'clock that afternoon, everything was taken care of. Every part of God's plan to redeem mankind had been fulfilled in the payment. There was one part left that's instrumental because if Jesus would not have risen from the dead, then I couldn't be convinced that the payment was satisfactory. The second. Because that would have been one other thing that Jesus... That, now I will say this. You've heard songs about Satan trying to keep Jesus in the grave. If there was anything he would have possibly done for Jesus never to rise again, he would have done it. Because that's where the victory was literally at. That's what 1 Corinthians chapter 15 talks about. The victory we have in Jesus Christ. He's risen from the dead. That's our hope. Ultimately, that is our hope. It's great news for us today. This last week, you can go back, and there's probably moments there was, hopefully not, but probably, there was something, oh, I shouldn't have said that. Oh, I should have said that. Right? There's so much even in those two things, right? Or, I, oh, I wish I hadn't done that. I wish I had done that. All of those moments of what I'm going to say, just fleeting defection. Know for a fact that Jesus Christ is interceding for you. It's if you've trusted Christ as Savior. If you've not trusted Christ as Savior, this very day, this second, right now, please yield yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ, the one and only Savior of this world, the only one that can save you. Get on your knees in your heart and humbly bow, saying, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. I cannot come to you any other way except through Jesus Christ. But when you accept Christ as Savior, that opens a brand new forever. Your eternity is fixed once and for all. He is praying for you. He is interceding for you. He is there to make sure that you are accomplishing everything He wants you to do. Isn't that fantastic? And He did it on the very night that He would be betrayed. That even makes it louder and bigger for me. We are probably at midnight going into Friday. That's where we're at in the last days of Jesus' week, His Passion Week. Next week, we're going to look at His actual literal betrayal, the time when He gives it all. Let's pray. Father, what a precious message to know that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. The weaknesses the disciples succumbed to, they literally fell apart. They were so proud, so arrogant, so in charge, so full of self, they were confident, they were reliant in just in a few hours. They would flee, they would fall away, they would be gone. Father, thank you for restoring them. Thank you for even Jesus, as he said to, to the woman at the, 
the graveside. Go tell the disciples and Peter. His caring, his love is the same for us today. Father, may we stay focused on Jesus Christ. Father, there are some of us who need to be restored. Need to return so that we can give strength to others. Father, I just pray for that person or persons. The Lord Jesus Christ is interceding for you. He's on your side. He loves you. He died for you. He's purchased you. The Holy Spirit lives within you. Return to Him. Just as it was said when they are converted, that is to turn back, to return. The same is true for us. He's waiting with open arms. Father, there's much for us to be thankful for. Time does not allow us to consider all of the things that you've accomplished. But we're here because of you. Take us and use us in this coming week. These that are gathered today, you have a purpose, you have a plan. You are guiding their steps. May they yield to you. May they stay focused on you. That more men and women and children would would see the Lord Jesus Christ in a very dark world. And yet we're here for such a time as this. May we proclaim the message in our lives and with our words, reaching out with the love that you've given to us. We pray this in Jesus' name.